Good morning. This is the 1045 crowd. People. Good morning. Or is it like, good almost lunch? So listen, it's, it's really good to be with you this morning, and I'm really excited. Before we dive into what we're going to talk about today, I want to take just a moment and thank those who are in the booth, in the production room, those who are on stage. It takes a lot of work to pull off what happens here every single weekend, and so I just want to thank them for all their efforts, not just in this room, but also the two other venues that we have on a Sunday morning. Um, they do an amazing job, so let's just thank them real quick. I'm very, very thankful for all their work, their hard, hard work. And uh, for the past two and a half years, this is the team that I've been able to come alongside of and serve and work with, and it's been an amazing experience for me. Um, I, I've learned a ton and had a, a great time working with them and serving with them, and even opening this building was a huge endeavor for us, but we did it, and we're, and we're in here, and we're worshiping, and it's, it's really awesome. And so I just want to thank them this morning for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because um, starting this week, I will no longer be on the production team here at the church. I'm actually going to be um, transitioning back into student ministry here at the church. Now, um, if you know me at all, you know my heart loves production, but my heart has always loved students. And so um, for the opportunity for me to go back and serve with student ministry again is a huge blessing to me. And so beginning this week, I'll be serving with Daniel Stevanis and the student ministry team and working with students from our community and from our church. And I want you to know that like, I'm really excited about it. And so I just want to say that before we get into this um, this morning, um, because I know there might be questions and that kind of stuff, but that's kind of um, the newness of what's happening here. So I'm blessed. I'm excited. I want to thank everyone that I've had a chance to work with over the past two and a half years, but I'm looking forward to the future. So I want to serve you as families and then um, you, those of you with children, I'm excited. So... Um, all right, well, let's, let's pray together, and we'll jump right into our passage together. Let's, let's pray first. God, we want to come to you this morning, and we want to just thank you for how good you are to us, God. Um, the truth is, we don't deserve anything, God. Um, there are seven billion people on this earth, and I think sometimes we get so convinced that we're entitled to certain things, but God, we're not. And so, Father, for all that you've given us and all that you've done in our lives, we're really grateful and really thankful. And so, God, as we come together and open your word, I thank you for giving us direction and guidance for our life. I pray that today, God, you would transform us and, um, and bend us and shape us into the people that you want us to be. Uh, we love you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When I was just out of high school, uh, Nick Cunningham and I and a couple friends of ours got to uh, go see Jack Johnson play. Y'all familiar with Jack There was like six people last <laughs> Jack Johnson, the banana pancakes guy. So we went to go see him play um, in Illinois from Indiana. So we drove over there. We felt like big adults because we were driving out of state to go to this concert. It was on the University of Illinois campus. And so we drove over there to see Jack Johnson. We get there. We park our vehicle. And then we walk down the streets to get there. And there's people everywhere. I mean, a lot of people were coming to this concert. He was just kind of starting to hit his stride. And so... We parked, we walked to the venue, and it was a really sketchy venue. <laughs> it was a place that my parents probably would not have let us go to if they knew we were going there, um, but they didn't. So we walked and made it to the place, and as we were going inside, literally we were all in single file line piling in because this venue was very, very small. Probably should have seated you know, seat about 400 people, but there's probably about 800 people there. And uh, on the floor, there was no seats or anything. It was just all standing room only. There were some seats in the back. And so we all piled in, us and our friends, and we get to this uh, area in the middle of the floor, kind of right in front of the stage, kind of right in the middle. And all of us were in a circle looking at each other because it was too awkward to look at anybody else. You ever been in an elevator when there's a lot of people and everybody's kind of looking at each other like, how's it going? 
No one knows what to say, but if you feel like you need to say something. So we kind of looked at each other and did our own thing. There's people everywhere. And it was like shoulder to shoulder. And so everybody's just standing there. It's sweaty. And everybody's hoping it's not going to be a fire or anything. It was like, it was a very dangerous situation. Probably the most uncomfortable situations I've been in. Because if something bad would have happened, we would have all been in trouble. So we're, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder with all these people we've never met before. We're waiting for the concert. We're waiting for a long time. We got there early because we knew it was going to be a, a concert was going to be selling out. So we're waiting, 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 and all of a sudden, somebody walks on the stage to start the concert, but instead they walk out and they're like, hey, we're going to show a 30-minute video about surfing that Jack made, so check out this video, and they walk back off. So for 30 more minutes, we're standing there again, just, show, just like watching this thing, and we were, everybody in the room is like, this is, what are we doing? We came for a concert, you know? So we're looking around, all these people sweating, and all these people just standing around, extracurricular activity everywhere, and just feeling like this is a very uncomfortable situation, and all of a sudden I realized, like, what am I doing here? What's the, what is the point? Like, what am I putting myself through this? This uncomfortable situation, all this stuff, all this travel, whatever. What am I doing? And I remember thinking, I'm here to see Jack Johnson. That's why I'm doing this. I'll, I'll go through all this to be able to finally see him on stage, finally see, hear him sing and see him play. And it was worth it. It was a really great concert. And chances are, you've probably had a situation like this before, too, where you've gone to something, whether it's an author, a speaker, an athlete, or some kind of event that's taking place, and you want to be there, and so you, you do whatever it takes to get there. There's a crowds of people everywhere, and you get shoulder to shoulder, you pack in there, and you might be thinking to yourself, what am I doing? This is so much effort, so much things. What? But then you remember, oh yeah, I'm here for this one thing. I'm here to see this thing happen. I'm here to see this person, or this act, or this whatever. You know, 27 times within the gospel, 27 times the word crowds is used. 27 times. And every single time this word crowds shows up in the gospels, every single time it's connected to guess who? Jesus. Every time. So when crowds show up, every time, very soon after you'll read because Jesus was there. 27 times throughout the gospels. From town to town, from lakeside to temple, there was always a crowd of people that followed Jesus wherever he went. They would fall from here into there. There was miles traveled by these people. They stood in line. They got in large groups. They went without food sometimes, all to experience Jesus and to spend time where he was. And in the book of Mark, chapter 2, we have a, a similar story taking place. This is one of these stories with the word crowds. This is Mark, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached to them. So Jesus shows up at this house in Capernaum. Most scholars say this house was actually Peter's house. Now, I don't know if Peter invited these people, but apparently everybody came. Word got around that Jesus was going to be here. So Jesus shows up. A large number of people show up. In fact, so many people show up that there's not enough room inside the house anymore. In fact, there's not enough room even outside the house. It is packed tight. It's uncomfortable. It's probably sweaty, and everybody's come to see Jesus. Now, the reason everybody has come to see Jesus is because a few verses before this, what's happened is Jesus has just healed a leper. He's healed him, and he's, and he's completely fine. Not long before that, he heals others, other people. Not long before that, he drives out evil spirits. And not long before that, he's preaching the good news about this kingdom of God that's coming to earth. And so people from all around the travels that Jesus had made thus far in chapter 2 of Mark were coming to hear him speak and coming to see him do what he does because he was amazing, and everyone, everybody wanted to be a part of it. So this house is full of people in Capernaum. A great number show up. Can't even fit anymore inside. Can't fit people outside. And what I see in, John, in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, is that when Jesus is in the house, people show up. Amen? I mean, all throughout Scripture, when Jesus is in the house, people show up. They come. They're there. And the reason they show up is because they believe that Jesus can make a difference in their life. 
They believed that Jesus could heal them. They believed that Jesus had a word for them that they needed to hear. They believed Jesus could do amazing, miraculous things. And so when Jesus traveled around, when he comes to this house, people show up. I'm not sure if you've been aware of what's been going on within the life of our church, but, but Jesus is at work. Amen? Now, I'm, I'm on staff, so I get kind of like the back view of all that's happening. And I want to tell you guys, Jesus is doing work in people's lives at our church. And I'm not just talking because there's a new building. I'm not saying because we have new chairs. I'm saying because Jesus is at work in people's lives. We're seeing amazing things of what Jesus is doing. And what I love is that we come and we we worship together because of what Jesus is doing, because he can make a difference in our life. For some people, he was just intriguing, so they wanted to come and see. For some people, they needed their lives to be changed. For some people, they needed to be healed. They wanted to hear what he had to say, and so they came. The Bible says that he went on to teach them, which makes me wonder, at the amount of energy that we expend, the amount of time that we spend, the amount of money that we spend, the amount of um, expense that we incur doing all of the activities that we do day in and day out. I mean, think about how much money and time and effort was, was taking place this past week when people went to Nashville to see the Gamecocks play, or want to know, by the way. Wrong crowd? Sorry. I, I thought I, okay. Mark Hammond, I see you. I think about how much energy took place for people to travel to Nashville on a Thursday to go see the Gamecocks play and pack that place out. I mean, think about that. I think about how much energy took place for people to travel to Auburn yesterday and see Clemson play a late game in that. How many of you stayed up all night long to see that game happen? Don't lie. Come on. You're here. Okay, I'm not going to be upset. You're here. I mean, think about all the energy that we expend for all, of the, and not just, not just college football games, but think about people who spend so much energy going to see their favorite uh, author or favorite speaker or a concert of some kind. So much money and so much energy goes into all of this. My question simply is this, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Within the Gospels, 27 times crowds show up, not because Bono's there, but because Jesus was there. And my question becomes for us as a church, Man, if Jesus is at work in this place, if Jesus is here and doing things, we should show up. Now, it's Labor Day week, and I understand that. It was a late game last night. I understand that. Not upset. What what I'm saying is this. I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge myself, that because Jesus is at work in this church, we should show up. Not because we're going to get our back scratched, not because we're going to come and feel good about the music and the play our songs, not because our children can go to whatever programming we want them to go, but because Jesus is doing things here. Because he can change lives. That is why we show up. And so this morning, my prayer for all of us this morning as we worship here together is that we would not miss out on what God is doing. That we become keenly aware of his moving within our church and the work that he's doing here. And not just on Sunday mornings. There are small groups that are happening throughout this church where, where couples and, and individuals are coming together in incredible ways. There's missions and, and outreach taking place in our church that are unbelievable. Because people are showing up because Jesus is at work. My hope and prayer is that we would experience him today. My hope and prayer is that we would come back again next week. And the next week, and we bring people with us to experience what God is doing. This is the situation that's taking place in Mark chapter 2. Jesus has showed up. He's done incredible work. And people have come to see what he's going to do at Peter's house. And they pack the place out. My prayer is that we would not have enough space in these chairs, in this room, or the other two venues that we have. Not enough space outside for the people who want to come to see what Jesus is doing. Amen? 
That's what I would love to see happen at this church. And I believe will happen at this church. Mark chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the story goes on by saying this. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat that the man was lying on. So there's five friends, and one of them is paralyzed. And the Bible says that these four friends all took a corner of this mat to carry him to get to Jesus because they believe that Jesus was this man's only hope. They believe that Jesus is the only one who could heal him because Jesus had done it before. So they bring this man to, now they get there a little bit late, okay? It's, it's pretty packed inside, it's pretty packed outside. The Bible doesn't tell us why this man is paralyzed. There's no indication as far as how long or how it happened. Although he knows that he is paralyzed. There's no explanation given. You know how I know that these four that are carrying him on the mat are his friends? The Bible doesn't say it, but they're there. They, they've each got a corner of the mat. They're each carrying a load to get this man to Jesus. That's what a friend looks like. That's what someone who's a disciple really looks like. Most scholars believe this man probably was carried to the place where Jesus is based upon Jesus' travels from anywhere from a mile away to about 40 miles away. Can you imagine? Anywhere from Governor's Grant to Newberry, South Carolina. Can you imagine carrying a friend of yours on a mat 40 miles away to get to Jesus so he could hopefully be healed? That's a lot of effort. That's, that's going all in. So first let me ask you this question. What were the names of the four friends? Not mentioned. It's not important. The writer didn't find it important to mention the names of these guys. All that you know is these guys cared enough about this guy that they did whatever it took to get him to Jesus. In fact, they traveled all that way, and then when they get to the house, it is so packed inside, it's so packed outside, guess what they do? They have to get the man on top of the roof of the house. You know, true disciples, true disciples go all in to get people to Jesus. We learned last week that a disciple is someone who is learning from Jesus how to orient their entire life under the reign and rule of God. These four men are what disciples look like. They're willing to go all in to get people before Jesus. And, and disciples have a keen eye to be able to look around and find out when there's someone who needs to get before Jesus for whatever reason, and they do whatever it takes to make that happen. Whether it's in a seat on a Sunday morning within a small group or a conversation over coffee, they need to meet Jesus. And I'll be a part of making that happen. These men do just this. They know what we need to know, that every miracle throughout history first begins with a problem. Every miracle throughout history first begins with, if you have a problem this morning, I got good news for you. This is where miracles originate. If you've got going, something going on today, some kind of suffering, some kind of trial, some kind of difficulty, this is where miracles begin. And for these four men, this man's problem, they believe, could become a miracle because they'd seen Jesus do it before. Experiencing a miracle in your life is the natural outflow of shifting our perspective from accepting the permanent to expecting the possible. What could happen? And these men believed so strongly, they had such faith that they would carry their friend on a mat from however far to get to this house. But when they arrive, it's full of people and they can't get inside. Now for most of us, this is honestly where the story would end. True? I mean, if I'm honest, it's where it was in for me. We tried. I mean, 
Okay, you're a little late. Maybe we'll come back tomorrow. We'll give it a shot again tomorrow, okay? Uh, this could get really awkward trying to get you to Jesus, so we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna find another time to do this or, or something else. Uh, what are people gonna say if we try to you know, worm our way into where Jesus is? It, it, that's how it go for me. I don't know about you. But this is not how it goes for these four guys. They get to the house. It's too full. They can't get inside. I love the attitude. Guess what they do? They pull him somehow onto the roof of the house and then they begin to dig a hole through the roof of the house. Now, in the ancient Near East, these houses weren't built like our houses. We're not talking shingles, plywood. We're not talking um, even slate, nothing like that. These houses' roofs were made out of sticks, rocks, dirt, earth. So as these four men begin to dig a hole through this roof to get this man to Jesus, this would have been a very uncomfortable situation. This would have been something that would have been very obvious that something was happening. And for most of us, um, we have a really hard time thinking about doing something like this. I do. If I would confess, there have been many times in my life where I've known someone needs to have an encounter with Jesus. I know it. There's no doubt in my mind. But as soon as the conversation begins and I can realize it's not going to go the way I want it to go, guess what I do? I stop. We've got to eat dinner still. I don't want this to be awkward. You know? Or, or I have a neighbor and I've got to walk across the yard and knock on the door. and I, just, I get butterflies just thinking about it and so we don't do it. This is not these men's attitude. A disciple, someone who's learning from Jesus how to orient their whole life under the reign and rule of God, we will do whatever it takes to get people before Jesus if they need Jesus. And this is the way these men act. This is how they live. Now, for these four guys, the story takes this kind of shocking turn. They begin to dig through the roof of the house. You ever been listening to someone in a crowd of people and someone speak and all of a sudden there's like the chronic cougher? Someone in the back corner always, and they just they can't stop coughing. And then everybody else feels like, well, if they're doing it, I can do it too. And all of a sudden, everybody starts coughing, you know? Or you get that baby in the room, and the baby's like suddenly like very hungry and wants to let everyone know how hungry the baby is. You've experienced this before? Am I the only one? This had to be like that, but like 20 times over. Because I want you to picture Jesus standing in the middle of this living room, okay, talking to all these people who have come to hear him speak. He's probably in the middle of the most important thing. Like, if you hear nothing else I say, you have to hear this. And as soon as he's about to say it, like a piece of roof begins to fall down on the floor in front of him. Sticks and then stones and dirt all over the place. And this would not have been a quick job. This would have taken some time. Because you're putting a person who's on a mat down through the roof into the floor where Jesus is. Now, my, my spiritual kind of like... Um, uh, mine wants to say that Jesus probably looked up, saw the sunlight coming through, and was like, wow, that's impressive. I've seen a lot of things, but this is good, you know? Now, everybody else in the room would probably be very upset. I waited in line too. Okay, I was sitting here in the room. I got here first. Who's this guy I think he is coming down through the roof in front of Jesus, making a huge mess? I, mean, I can picture Peter's wife probably looking at him across the room being like, you're going to pay for this. You know, there are probably some people that are very, very upset at what's going on here. But you get the sense these four guys, they don't care. And you get a sense also this, this, this guy who's in major need, he doesn't care. He's there because he needs to get in front of Jesus. So slowly but surely, loudly and messily, our four friends dig a hole through this roof to get this man to Jesus. So the man begins to be lowered down to the floor in front of Jesus. What would that have been like? I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt things. <laughs> And everybody's just scowling at it. I mean, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. But at the same time, you are recognizing that every inch that you go down, you are one step closer to potentially being healed by this man, Jesus. Can you imagine? 
This may have been his entire life waiting for this one moment and it's finally taking place. You know the difference between a fan of Jesus and someone who has faith in Jesus? Someone who's a fan will stand in line, make it into the venue just so they can get as close as they possibly can. But someone who has faith in Jesus is someone who will dig a hole through a roof to get directly in front of Jesus. Those are two entirely different things. Which one are you? Are you a fan of Jesus or do you have faith in what Jesus can do? Do you have faith in what he can do? So watch how Jesus responds. Picture the setting. Picture all that's taken place. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, here's what it says. When Jesus saw their what? Their what? Faith. These are not fans. These are people who have faith in what Jesus can do. They, they lower him before Jesus. Jesus says, uh, seeing their faith, the friend's faith, he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. What would you be thinking in your mind? I'd be furious. I, I just got carried here by, by four friends. Very uncomfortable, bumpy ride. I came from Newberry, okay? I finally got here. We started days ago. I get here. It's too full. You get me on top of the roof. You dig a hole. I'm very embarrassed. A bit awkward. You lower me here before Jesus. I'm here because why? I am paralyzed. I have this external condition that I need Jesus to do something about. And as soon as I get before Jesus, the first thing Jesus says is what? Your sins are forgiven. You ever felt disappointment? I mean, this guy had to be feeling this. You ever, you ever been waiting for some kind of award and you wait for it, and, you wait, and, then, and then you find out you didn't get it? Or you're waiting for some kind of payment or money of some kind, you're waiting, and you realize it's not coming? I mean, this had to be the way this man felt. Finally, I'm going to be healed. And he gets in front of Jesus, and the first thing Jesus says is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Has anybody ever seen an iceberg? Like, a, like in real life, an iceberg. Anybody? I know we live in South Carolina. I'm just asking, okay, if you travel at all. You ever had a drink of water with a piece of ice in it? You've seen an iceberg. A miniature. Scientists say that an iceberg, an iceberg, when you see one floating in the ocean, you only see 10% of that entire chunk of ice. 10%. These things are huge. That means that there is 90% of that chunk of ice that is underneath the surface of the water that no one sees, no one knows about. 10%, 90%. I mean, if you don't think that 90% is important, ask the Titanic. It's extremely, the 90%, what, what no one sees, what no one knows about is the most important. What happens in this story, I believe, is this man has 10% of his life that is out in the open for everyone to know. Clearly, he has an external condition. This, this paralysis is a major issue. It's a problem, probably maybe for his whole life. It's 10% of his life because there's 90% of this man that no one knows about. Except for who? Jesus. This morning, you may have walked in here and, and sat down in this chair. There might be something going on in your life right now that you don't want any public knowledge, but people know about it. You're struggling with it. You know about it. Your family knows about it. But I know that for every single one of us in this room, for the 10% that people know about, there's 90% of us that no one has a clue about. There are struggles that we go through that no one has. There are things that we've done that no one knows about. And you want to keep it that way. But here's the good news this morning that I think we see from this story. Jesus is completely and totally clued in to every part of your life. 
He knows the 10%. He's completely aware of your external condition, but he is even more keenly aware to your internal condition. The 90% that no one knows about. And so Jesus, knowing this man's physical need, he says to him, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You know what sin is? Sin is all the ways that we refuse to come underneath the reign and rule of God. Sin is all the ways relationally or financially, the way we speak to people, the way we treat people, the way we think about people, the things that we choose to do or not do, the internet sites that we go to, the movies that we watch, all of it, every part of our life. It's all of the ways that we refuse to come under the reign and rule of God. That's called sin. It's missing the mark that God has laid for us. And so Jesus, the first thing he deals with with this man is he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiving. Now the haunting question for me and for you is this. Are we so laser focused on some kind of external condition within our life that we are turning a blind eye to the internal condition that a lot of us have? Maybe there's this one thing in our life and, and it, it seems so daunting to us that we can't imagine that there's something else that Jesus would want to do. And so we're asking him to do this, but all along he's wanting to do this. I mean, do you want him to fix your circumstance or do you want him to fix you, the core of who you are? This should be encouraging for us because if this man, if this man can be lowered down before Jesus and Jesus look at him, just because of his faith, and the first thing he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. This means no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you have done, you can be forgiven and made right with God. You now can choose to allow your life, every part of it, as a disciple of Jesus, to come under the reign and rule of God and say, God, I will live life your way. This should be encouraging to us. Jesus' first priority is our internal condition, not our external condition. Now, I want to be very clear here. Don't misinterpret me. Jesus is absolutely aware of this man's need. He knows what this man needs. He's not confused. He knows this man's suffering. He knows that he's in obvious need. He knows he's, he's um, uh, wanting to have Jesus heal him. He knows there's difficulty, there's trials, and there's hurt. Jesus is aware of your pain as well. He, he knows your pain because of your wayward child. He knows that he is totally con, uh, tuned into your marriage that is struggling. He knows the diagnosis that you just received, and he's aware of your loneliness. He knows these things. He's not caught off guard, and he cares about these things. But he knows better than we do what exists under the surface, the 90% of us. And, and he knows that this is our greatest limiting factor. Our greatest limiting factor. This man needed to be healed from this disease, but Jesus knew there was a disease that was a part of his life that was going to limit him far more than even that could. And it's what Jesus deals with first. I mean, just two days ago, I was laying in my bed, and um, my wife and I had been talking that day, and I was laying in bed, and I was, I was, I was frustrated, to be honest. I was frustrated with God because we had been, who knows that it's difficult to raise children? Anyone? I know some of you are like so easy and you put it on Facebook. I know it's not true. It's hard, man. Because we want to do it well. We want to do it right. And I love my kids and I want them to be able to have um, all the things that God wants them to have. I want that for them. But it's so difficult. And so my wife and I have been talking and kind of wrestling. And I was laying in bed and I was just really frustrated. I was, I was saying, God, I don't understand why, 
why you don't show up and do something? Because I feel like we've done everything we can. It's not working. I don't know what else to do. So God, where are you? And maybe you've had this kind of conversation before with a different kind of situation. God, where are you? Like, I, I, I would expect you to, to know this is going on and to do something about it. Now, luckily for me, it was late enough at night and it was quiet enough that I could hear a still, small voice in the back of my head and God began to ask me questions and he began to say, Trevor, why do you get so upset about this stuff? Why do you get so impatient about things? And all of a sudden, I began to hear God speak to me about the internal condition, the things that were going on in my life, when all along I was pushing that aside because I felt like this was the issue. This was the thing that needed to be dealt with. Potentially, God knew exactly what needed to be dealt with. It had more to do with me. What are we asking God to fix? Our circumstances or our character? Who we are? And this is the beauty of Jesus. This is the be- he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows every part of us. He knows all that's going on. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what makes us feel the way that we feel. And he cares about it. Jesus, thank you for knowing us better than we know ourselves. And thank you for loving us enough, God, to take care of every part of who we are. Thank you. I just met with a couple of college guys this past week um, at Chick-fil-A. Had a wonderful meal, by the way. And we were, we were talking and we were asking questions. What does it mean to live in Christ? Like, what's it mean to be a disciple and live under the reign and rule of God? And essentially we were saying, when you begin to do that the way God wants you to, it's not work. It, it's simple. Because it just becomes who you are. You just live out of it. You don't got to think about it. You just do it. And that is a gift from God. And as he works in our hearts, that's the kind of thing that changes within us. And so within this story, when Jesus says to this man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Of course, there are some religious people there. Isn't there always? Who get angry. And they're angry because within Jewish culture, this was a major taboo. Because the only person who could forgive sins was who? God. So for Jesus to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, essentially Jesus was saying, I am God. It's the first time within Mark where we see him this clear about his divinity by saying your sins are forgiven. Now within Jewish culture also, these religious folks, they were waiting for someone, the Messiah, to come along that would free them from all their external woes. That would take care of all the external conditions they had, all the oppression that was going on, all the difficulties And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's doing these amazing things. This is what they expect from him. What they don't expect is for him to take care of the internal condition. To be God himself and to be able to forgive sins and change people's lives from the inside out. So Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, I mean, he's so smooth like that. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus says this. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in, in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man does. And everybody is in awe. Everybody cannot believe what just happened. What Jesus is doing is he's proving to the crowd who's listening there, listen, I didn't get this backwards. I know what's the most important thing. I think Jesus was actually making a point to these religious folks. You think the Messiah is coming to change all the external things that you want him to change, but the Messiah is actually coming to change the internal things, the things that you cannot change, to make you right with God, which of course makes them angry. And then Jesus, I love it. He's like, okay, you're angry about that? Let me just prove to you this is true. Get up, take your mat, 
and go home. And the man does. Both things happen. Jesus takes care of both needs, the internal and the external. This means whatever addiction you have, Jesus can actually fix that. Your marriage that is struggling right now and you feel like it's not going to make it, Jesus can't actually fix that. The difficulty raising children right now, I feel your pain. Jesus can actually fix that. And he does in this story. But for some of us, we are turning a blind eye to our greatest and deepest need in turn for the things that we are so focused on. And Jesus does both. Don't get it twisted. These things happen in order for a reason. So maybe this morning you've come in here and you've sat down in this seat and, and you've got this, these things going on. What I want you to understand is that Jesus is well aware of it. And, and he, can, he can take care of it. But maybe for a long time you've been running from the deeper need. You've been running from dealing with this other stuff and Jesus wants to actually deal with it. And it's really a simple equation. I mean, think about what, how this happens. It's, it's really nothing. There are four friends who carry one friend. They get him in front of Jesus. And based on their faith, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It just takes faith. It's not some magic prayer. It's not some magic thing you have to do. It is simply coming before Jesus and saying, I put my faith and my trust and my hope in you, Jesus. That's what it takes. And let him do his work. My prayer is that we have a, a church full of people who have that kind of attitude. Because I believe that's when things begin to change. Maybe what's most shocking about the whole story is at the end, Jesus says to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Does the man need the mat anymore? It's not hard. Does he need the mat anymore? No. I mean, he can walk now. He's been healed. But I think Jesus tells him to get up, take your mat, and go home. Because every time this man would look at this mat that he used to lie on when he was immobile and could not move, every time he looks at that, he would be thankful for what God had done in his life. He would be reminded of the work that Jesus had done in his life and the way he'd been transformed. When I was in high school and really into college, I had... I had a major issue really allowing my relationships, the way I did relationships, to come under the reign and rule of God. I really struggled with it. And, and it would make me angry all the time because I could not figure out why I could not let this thing go and why I couldn't do this thing the way that Jesus wanted me to do this thing. And, and I was convinced that if I didn't figure this out, there would be no way I'd be able to get married one day and have a committed, faithful relationship to my wife. And so I struggled, I struggled with it. And I'll never forget, a good friend of mine finally called me out in a very uncomfortable situation. And that was the one moment where Jesus finally, I said to him, you know what, Jesus, you get, you get all of me, like every part of me, including this part. You can do whatever you want. And that was the beginning of, of me, not long after that, meeting Jenna and deciding to get married. Now, two boys later and a couple years later, whenever I walk around my house and I see my wife and I see my boys, I'm thankful. I'm thankful because what Jesus has done in my life. It couldn't have happened aside from him. There's some of us in this room that Jesus has done some amazing things in your life. He's changed crazy things. And we don't take time sometimes to slow down and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm thankful for what you're doing in my marriage. I'm thankful for what you're doing in my family. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life. Get up, take your mat, and go home. Every time you look at that, I want you to be thankful for what God has done. 
This morning, I think we're probably one of two people. But either way, if Jesus works in our life and has worked in your life, we, we have to never, ever forget where we've come from. We have to never, ever forget where we've come from. We're probably one of two people this morning, and maybe, maybe you're like the paralyzed man, and you've come with some kind of external condition. You want Jesus uh, to heal, to do something, and, and Jesus is saying, bring it to me. Trust me with it. Put your faith in me. Or maybe you're like the paralyzed man and you have this thing, but you've never realized or taken time out to, to notice that there's this inter- internal condition, this, this sin in your life that's keeping you from coming underneath God's rule and reign in your life. And this morning, you can do that. You can simply come before Jesus and say, I want to put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. You rule. You reign in my life. I'm tired of doing it. I can't do it alone. Or maybe this morning, you're like one of the four friends And Jesus has worked in your life, but you've got this friend that you know needs to get before Jesus. You have got to do whatever it takes to get in there. Maybe you've got that person in your mind right now. It might be over coffee. It might be here on a Sunday morning or within a small group or something else. Man, but get them there. Have faith that if you get them in front of Jesus, Jesus can do something great. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful for the things that he can do in our lives. I'm thankful for the things that he has done in our lives. So this morning, I want to pray for us. And just in your own heart and your own mind, if this morning you want to kind of turn your life over to God, I want you to do that this morning and begin to live underneath his rule and reign in every step of your life, all of your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. I thank you for loving us, God, in a way that only you can. I thank you for forgiving us, God, of our sin and the ways that we try to do life alone. Help us, God, in our minds and our hearts to know someone who needs to get before Jesus and do whatever it takes to go all in for that person to have an encounter with God. So today, God, as we leave, I pray that we would be leaving changed people by having an encounter with you. Help us put our faith in you, God. Not just to be fans, not just to show up, but to show up expecting that you can work. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.